shame is saying like, I am bad versus saying like something bad has happened. Shame says, no, you are bad. Mm. And I was like, oh no, I'm not bad. The Lord doesn't call me that. Therefore I am not. I see the walls before me. I feel the cages forming. Seems like the wall is falling, but I keep my head up the ground. I see the wall before me. I know what change is coming. I hear the world is calling, so I keep my head up the ground. We break into everything. We break into Hello and welcome to the Barrier Breakers Corner, where we shift mindsets around various topics such as family, finance, relationships, dreams and visions, and most importantly, opportunities and how to walk into them. We want to annihilate the assumption that we cannot break barriers. Let me tell you this today. There is more on the other side of you breaking that barrier that you would never know unless you do. We break into Welcome to the Barrier Breakers Corner, where we step out on faith and defy the earth. I am your host, Joyce Donkor. This is season three, and today we want to talk about single motherhood or single mothering. And I have a beautiful young lady here that's going to talk to us about that. Her name is English Bradley, and she's going to give us the whole gist about it. And we will talk along. I pray that anyone that listens to this at the end of the day gets, I mean, are blessed and hopefully get something to go on with. So English, please introduce yourself. Thank you for having me, Joyce. I'm really excited. My name is English Bradley. I am a 30-year-old mom to the most amazing 10-year-old son. His name is Kevin. And I kicked him out of the house to do this. <laughs> I can't trust him to be quiet or to walk past with like shirt on. So I made him go outside and play basketball. <laughs> so I'm really excited to be here and kind of go through this mothering journey with you. It's going to be fun. That's great. I'm in my aunt's house right now and the kids, they're already knocking on the door just before we started recording. They're like, Auntie Joyce, I need to come in. I'm like, you know, I'm having a recording. But yeah. Every time. It doesn't matter how much dedicated or focused time that I have with Kevin. It's just the minute I'm going to do something else. It's like, hey, mom, can I do this? I need something. Like, well, how does this happen without fail? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to just come up with something at that point. But how has single motherhood been for you? That's a loaded question. It's beautiful and hard and complex. It's layered. My whole journey of parenting has been as a single woman. I am very fortunate that Kevin's dad is in the picture. We're just not together. So he does have an active father. So that is also very unique. People think of single parenting and it's like, oh, the guy disappeared or the mom disappeared. So navigating parenting from separate households with me being a believer and his father not, it's layered. (laughs) It's very layered. Yeah. Before we go into that, how did your community feel like you just being a single mom? I grew up in the church and I stepped away. My goodness, I think for about 10 years, I had a really terrible abuse history in my family and my home. And so when I got the chance to just run away from it all, I did. 
And then I ended up getting pregnant with Kevin. And I want to say maybe five years ago at this point, there was just this reckoning, right? Where like the Lord is just knocking. I'm finally opened the door back up. Mm-hmm. So when I came back pregnant, I don't think anyone was surprised which is like kind of sad. I don't think anyone was surprised, but I was met with a lot of love, a lot of grace. And, but very much the responsibility of your child is your own and expect our families or our villages to raise these children. I am called to be Kevin's mama. So I've taken that responsibility really seriously with a lot of grace and kindness and if you ever meet him, he is the best kid. He's got these big brown eyes and this smile that like lights up the room. It's very easy for other people to want to help Kevin because he's just charming and sweet. And (laughs) That is so sweet. And do you think that they received you because that's how that community is or they received you because they knew that because you left, that's why you came back like this? I mean, I'm talking about the church. A little bit of both. I think that I was very fortunate that those people, they've always loved me. I know that they were praying for me and all of that. So I think one of it is familiarity. When you're ingrained into the body of Christ and even our family systems, right? they don't stop loving us because we make mistakes. When I say I was met with a lot of grace, it was just like, okay, we have this extra person to love and she may just need a little bit more help. And I also think that it goes back to the scripture that when you see the fruit in someone's life and they've been marked, it doesn't matter how far we go away. Those things don't disappear. Just having this extra person to love and still being very called and loved by the Lord, just it made it easy for me to come back. And it was awkward, you know, when you're just like, the prodigals come home. Nobody <laughs> talks about that part. Where it's like, yeah. Now you're sitting in the pew and you're just like, oh my gosh, my sin is right here. So it was cool. I feel like when I was much younger, seeing that I have been judgmental, but as I went through life and doing my own things as well, I realized that everybody goes through ups and downs, everybody makes mistakes and we can't even judge them. You have to be careful not to judge it. Even the Bible says not to judge. Who are we to judge anybody but to love them because God has already forgiven us and he loved us. And so who are we to not forgive another person? Who are we not to love somebody else? I really like the fact that they received you with grace and love. And that's what the church is supposed to be, because that's what the Bible talks about it, where Paul is admonishing the church, where they come together and they're sharing stuff and doing so many things together. That's what this church is supposed to be. I'm so glad that you received that. And so when did you come to that point where you're like, you know, girl, you got to push. Do better. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) exactly. And do better. (laughs) Oh, it's a really funny story, actually. I have a flair for the dramatics of it. I was just coming off of a, like a bad kind of breakup. I was in like one of those situationships, right? And I called my sister and I'm just like, I don't know why this keeps happening. I'm crying with a, like a sandwich and this boy doesn't care anything about me. And my sister, oh man, she is my person. She's a beautiful representation of the Lord for me. And she said, Sissy, I love you, but I don't have time for this unless you're going to give Jesus a try again. Like you've done everything else. So like, unless you're willing to accept the love of Jesus and realize that he's already forgiven you, I can't help you. Mm. And it was just like such a punch in the face, you know? (laughs) I hung up on her because I was angry. I'm like, how dare you say that? My heart is broken, right? Because you're not expecting that from her. No, she's supposed to be my person and let (laughs) me have this pity party. So I just remember sitting in the car and I'm sobbing and I'm like, you know what, Lord, we tried this once. Let's just try again. And I very clearly remember saying, you know, if you make yourself real to me again, 
I'll do this for the rest of my life. And in that moment, I heard a knock on my door, like on my car door. And I knew in that moment that it was the Lord just saying like, I'm ready if you're ready. And so, yeah, I was just like, okay. And we've just been on this really beautiful journey ever since. And it's just exactly who he is, the redemption of Jesus, that once I came into the realization that it didn't matter that it had a baby. I mean, of course, it's not the way that he had planned it, but he's a redeeming God. He's always been that. Right. And it really helped me in my parenting to kind of get over the shame of like, oh my gosh, I had a baby and I'm not married. And it's helped me to be a better mom for Kevin because he's not dealing with this mom who's like buried in shame and trying to like prove myself and prove my worth that I can still do all of the things. That's what everyone tells you when you have a baby early is that your life is over. You're never going to have friends. You can't have a career. And I'm like, that's actually not true. Right. (laughs) As you were saying earlier, you can stay there. You can settle for that. But that is not the plan that the Lord has for me at all. I mean, we make mistakes, right? And I had this video that I did a few weeks ago. I posted it on Instagram. And I said that on the podcast, probably I'll ask you later, what did you learn? What did you know now that you wish you had known when you were younger? And I was saying that for me, it was that mistakes are part of life. I've made mistakes and I never ever thought that they were part of life. I was just like, I said it in London, I was telling you earlier. And I went to London and I'm like, I just want to be this perfect kid. I don't want to disappoint my parents again because I disappointed them before I moved. And I was like, I don't want to disappoint them anymore. I just want to be perfect. And so we are going about being this good person, trying not to make mistakes. How do you grow if you don't make mistakes? Girl. (laughs) Right. And when you fall, you would know who your friends are too, because then you know who's going to be there to stand for you. Because some people don't even want to work with you when you're in that shame. Like when that shame is with you, like a part of your life, nobody wants, some people don't want to work with you. So they're like, hey, I'm out. <laughs> right. And so I'm glad that you had a sister who could come to you and say, hey, you know what? I'm tired of this. I think you needed that at that point and you didn't even know you needed that. I didn't. And now I'm just like, what a gift. It was an ugly packaging and it was harsh. But it's what I needed to shock me into the realization that, oh man, you're right. I'm just living below my station at this point because I felt like that's all that I deserved. And that's not the truth. It's exactly how Satan works. You know, when you have worldly friends, they're just like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll whatever. And they're like encouraging me to keep in these bad habits. I'm just so grateful now for that phone call of her just being, I don't have time for this. Right. How do you not have time for me? I was reading this morning in Colossians 2, verse 20. It says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are still living in the world, do you submit to rules and regulations such as do not handle this, do not taste that, do not even touch? These things will perish with use in accordance with the commandments of and teachings of men. And it just let me know that in this world, we have people that have put principles and things there, you know, and they're like, you can't do it this way just because. And sometimes because the Bible says, don't lie and don't cheat and don't do this and don't do that. They feel like, okay, God is this strict person that don't do this and then or else he's going to do that. And so because of that, a lot of people are just being so religious about it. We hear this thing all the time, sin is sin, which is true. But then they have categorized or prioritized it. And they are like, this sin is huge and that sin is small. And so now when somebody is in the church committing adultery and fornication, you have nothing to say about that or stealing church money or doing things in the community, raping kids here and there. And you keep quiet about it. And then somebody gets pregnant and then you're just like, um, who does she right. think? Like, you know, <laughs> yep. and it's like, 
sin is sin. The way we admonish the person who's just had a child is the way we should admonish the person who is raping somebody or stealing or fornicating or doing like sin is sin. Come on. People need to start like, especially in the church, people need to start separating that and coming to the point where they are like, hey, sin is sin. As long as this person has realized their sins, I mean, even if they have and still love them and show them the way, and then they'll come to that point. But even when that person have come to that realization, like you were saying earlier, my sin is sitting next to me. No, my gift is sitting next to me. This is my gift that God has given to me to take care of. So I'm going to put in my all. And if you haven't had that love for him, he wouldn't be that child. I guess the love of God was working through you to come to that point. Well, I also think, and this is not in any way to say like, hey, let's go have children out of wedlock, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> not encouraging. That's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. So don't do it if you can. <laughs> But I was thinking of that scripture, and I can't recall where it is, but it's just talking about children born to a young man is like a quiver full of arrows. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, man, I've got this quiver of arrows. It's only one arrow, mm. but it is targeted and loaded exactly where the Lord wants. And it's my responsibility to steward that and to be very aware that, hey, yeah, I made this mistake. But again, that is all of the things like God has proven himself to redeem that. Look at Jonah, look at Moses, all of these great men have made huge mistakes. And we're still telling those stories today. So I'm not calling myself Jonah or Moses. (laughs) But I have to believe that the Lord loves me and loves Kevin enough and has called me to be his parent, that he has a direct plan for us, even in my mistake. And if I can help another young woman say, hey, homegirl, your life's not over. It's going to be real hard, but it's not over. I think that that is worth it because you mentioned earlier, there's so many people who come to this parenting in a variety of ways. Mine was poor choices, but there are women who are raped and find themselves pregnant or maybe they're in sex trafficking and find themselves with these babies or maybe a woman's husband left her for some. So it's just the redeeming quality of our dad that he's like, don't worry, girl, I got you and I got your babies. Throughout the Bible, it's saying, you know, to take care of the widows and the orphans. And I am not a widow by the world's terms, but I am my husbandless woman, which therefore would make me a widow. So I'm like, God has made concessions for us, no matter what that looks like. Or if your spouse has passed away and you find yourself in this thing alone, it's just like, he knows that and he's ready and his heart is toward us in those situations. Not that he loves widows and orphans any more than anybody else. That's kind of, we all know that. I found myself really just being so thankful for that. But I'm like, oh, I can see myself represented here. Mm -hmm. It's been very comforting. And I have two questions. This just popped into my brain. But I was saying to myself the other day that one person cannot be everything to everybody. So let's say, for example, we have a president and that president was a doctor, was the president, was the vice president, was the teacher. Like that would be a lot. So if there were not women like you in this world, how will other women that are in that should be able to cope? I wouldn't be able to come to you and have this conversation with you today because maybe I haven't seen anyone doing that. But we are different things to everybody. And that's why the Bible says that God knew you before you were born. He knew you. And so he created you for a purpose. So you having that gift, Kevin as a gift, You're going to be a light to even those that are going to listen to this in the future, going to find a blessing in it. God has created different people 
whatever thing that you feel like, oh, it's a mistake, is working for your good. All things are working for your good to them that love the Lord. So it is working for your good. So when did you come to the point where you never let shame be the focus? My relationship with shame has been like lifelong now that I can see it. I don't know if you're into the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram 3. I have a weird relationship with it. So part of my personality, and I've always known this before I have Enneagram language, I'm not actually an intention-seeking person, but I would rather people think of me favorably than not. So anytime someone thought of me in a way that I didn't like, shame immediately. So having a baby, I was just like, oh my gosh, everybody thought that I had this future robbed from me once I had Kevin. I was 20 years old when I gave birth. So coming into the realization, like, no, that's a lie. Nothing was robbed from you. Nothing was stolen from you. Something has actually been added. A person has been added. So I daily have to remind myself that I allow shame to happen. I can say I have the choice to partner with that condemning spirit if I choose to. It's an everyday thing. I wish I could like pinpoint and say like, here's where I broke up with shame. But it really is a cognizant choice that I have to make every day because there's always somebody that's giving me a look that, oh man, maybe if you didn't have that baby, you would be here by now or you wouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, no, you just don't have the right picture of this. You don't have the right context and you don't have the perspective that I have. Today, my shame is like non-existent, but tomorrow something else may happen that I'm like, oh, okay, I see you. It's a daily choice for me. <laughs> that is so true. I like the fact that you're saying it's a daily choice and also that you have to be intentional about it because you're right. It's not just that because even with me, <laughs> so many other things just come up today, tomorrow, 10 days later, and you're like, oh my God, I feel so embarrassed. Why would this happen now? Don't I know better or something like that? But that's how we learn. That's how we grow. And I like the fact that you had to choose, make that choice. And something happened a few days ago with me. And I was so sad. I was so down. I was so embarrassed. And I said, I had to start speaking to myself. I was like, you're better than this. You're good. You're strong. You know, you're fine. <laughs> like, it's just a mistake and you're going to learn from it and you're going to move forward. Yeah. So I was just like speaking to myself. And then later I felt better because if not, I'll just be going the whole day and it's just messed my day up because I was actually feeling really, really bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and shame is like that thing. It's like a downward spiral. It can start with something so small and then like, oh, the world's going to end and it's all my fault. Like, mm. this is just like not even realistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if it's just my dramatic self that's always just like, oh, that's it. Something terrible is going to happen because of me. And I'm just like, English, who do you think you are that you have that much control over these situations that like the world is going to end because you, I don't know, forgot to put on the turn <laughs> signal or something. This is wild, but it's crazy the way that shame just like throws itself in there. And it's difficult sometimes to get out of that spiral of it. And I was listening to a teaching. Shame is saying like, I am bad versus saying like something bad has happened. Shame says, no, you are bad. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not bad. The Lord doesn't call me that. Therefore, I am not. So it was taking that and making shame very personal because that's what it is has really helped me to acknowledge it saying, okay, hey, yeah, you did something bad. You shouldn't have done it. Or like, maybe you made a mistake, but you are not the mistake. You just made the mistake. So putting it in that context really helps me to say like, no, I did something bad in terms of having premarital sex, 
but I am not bad. And Kevin definitely isn't bad. So I think the Lord will give us conviction, not condemnation, right? Like that's been the difference for me in realizing that the Lord checked me. (laughs) It was just like, hey girl, not okay. Let's fix this. Mm -hmm. But I love you and I have more for you that like check him off. Okay. I need to repent and bring this before the Lord so that he can redeem it. Yeah. That's been just so, so helpful for me in the last few years. And I like that part that you are not shamed. And so how do you deal with that with Kevin? Okay. He could do stuff. I mean, he's a kid and kids do so many things. So how do you kind of separate that and say, he's not bad, but he did something bad. How do you manage that with him? You know, (laughs) that's fun. That's the thing we're still learning. This is a really interesting time because he's 10. He'll be 11 in October. I've never been a parent to a 10-year-old and he's never been 10 before. And we're in this weird preteen stage and he just smells bad and everything (laughs) is an (laughs) attitude. His intention is not to be disrespectful, but he questions things that he would not have questioned before. So before I catch myself being like, because I said so, no, the Lord doesn't do that to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think checking myself and saying, hey, like he is growing and being curious and he's not going to get this right because there are new freedoms that come with him to be more able-bodied. So it's this weird balancing act of allowing him to go out into the world and be his authentic self, but also like finding out where our boundaries are. There are some non-negotiables. You don't just go out and punch another kid in the face. It's completely unacceptable. But I am still learning where is appropriate to say, hey, yeah, you can have this conversation with someone that I don't necessarily need to be a part of and trusting that we've made good boundaries and decision-making. And that's where it gets a little difficult because his father isn't a believer. So this sweet kid has got like two sets of rules because I'm balancing between the truth of who I am as a person and who the Lord has called us to be. And his dad is a great dad. He's a wonderful man in terms of being a father. But he's like, hey, son, do your thing. And I'm like, no, 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 do your thing. (laughs) (laughs) So we're still really trying to balance that out. And I think it's just always going to be like that until he is grown enough to make his own decisions. Yeah, it's wild. It is. (laughs) I don't know if that's any different as a single parent versus a two-parent household. Kids will naturally grow and they're curious and that's just the way that the Lord has created us. So I don't think that that's something different like single parents versus married couples. No, we're still just trying to keep these kids alive and make sure that they're decent human beings. Yeah. I've been in the practice of reminding myself of the promises of God and who he says I am, therefore who Kevin is, and teaching him those as well. I think that's been helpful for me in the balancing of shame to kind of give you the shorter answer of your original question. So yeah, I think reminding him of the promises of God and what God actually says about him will help to cement him in those truths that like, okay, anything that is not this isn't true. Okay. I know it's so important to listen to your kids when they come with questions or when they have something to say, listen to them. So I want you to talk more on that, the importance of listening to the kids. Our kids are human. They are people and they're trying to figure out the world and where they fit in it, honestly. And a lot of us adults are still trying to do that too. So I think that it is just the respectful thing to listen. You wouldn't dismiss your coworker when they're asking a question. You don't do it to your boss or your adult family members. So to discredit these little people because they are young. Now, there are some things if Kevin's like, oh, hey, I want a cigarette. 
I'm not right. Like that part. <laughs> no. <laughs> like and there are certain things where I'm like, you're being foolish. Absolutely not. Or because I said no. And it's like against the law. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's like balance because I said no. Just actually this morning, my kid loves chocolate like nobody's business. Like, man, he will go in on a Hershey's bar. So this morning, he gets the bright idea that, mom, can I have chocolate for breakfast? And I'm like, no. He goes, why? Calories are calories. I'm like, because I said no. There is no other reason I don't want you to have it. And then I got in the car and I was like, ew, English, you did the thing, right? You're just like, because I said so. And I always hated that growing up. But I'm like, there's not an actual, it's not going to kill his health if he had chocolate one morning. But I don't want you to have it, so no. But I try to treat Kevin not as an adult, but as an adult where you do have a say or at least can express your opinions in this thing because I don't want you to grow up thinking that you can't come to me with a question because we see what happens to those kids. They might end up like me. You never gave me an explanation as to why I shouldn't have sex. So I just went out and did it because nobody had a good answer as to why I shouldn't have. I think that just having a conversation and allowing these kids to ask questions in a space that is safe and being honest and saying, you know what, I really don't know. Because there are times where that's my answer, where he'll, he'll ask me something and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, let's <laughs> figure it out. And I think at least right now, that is the best way for me to like understand him and his thought processes because our kids, they want to be known. They want to be known. They want to know that their opinions matter and that they're valued. So hopefully by my kind of just letting him do his thing, sometimes he'll talk about the same thing for 35 minutes. And I'll be like, how did we get here? But at least he knows that most times I'm listening intently. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, baby, I don't know what you said. But um, <laughs> yeah, listening will give our kids the confidence that they need to voice their opinion, whether they're right or wrong, it will give them the sense of knowing that what I'm saying at least deserves to be heard. And then we can talk about it. So I think we really do our kids a great disservice by not listening to them and saying, oh, because you're a child. I mean, the Lord said to let them come. There's a reason for that. Our kids oftentimes have a bit more discernment than we do because they're not as jaded by the world as we are. I think, too, being a really young mom, again, I was 20 when I had Kevin, I've learned a great deal just by listening to him and understanding how to care for his heart. It's helped me to treat people better. And I don't think that I would have learned that without saying, like, I'm responsible for this human. So, like, <laughs> there's a way, there's a care and a responsibility that comes. And that's just been, like, listening to him hurt or say, Mommy, I need this. I'm like, oh, man, I've just bulldozed this conversation. And I neglected a very poor part of you. And I've taken that into my adult relationships now and saying, like, I'm going to slow down and listen to what you're saying, because you're probably giving me some context clues that I wouldn't have paid attention to prior. It's so important to actually talk and listen to your kids, because when you talk about that pregnancy part, my parents always said, don't have sex or don't get pregnant. Like, OK, you have a child at that age. Don't just say, don't do this or don't have this. You need to give them a reason why, because obviously they're going to come back to you and say, why? Some parents are going to be so angry. They're like, why are you asking me why? <laughs> because I said so. Exactly. That's not a like, have you realized where the Bible, or even just normal life, you tell someone, don't do this. That's the thing they want to do. <laughs> because I am a rebellious person. So I'm like, oh, why? You're telling me I can't do this? It must be fun. <laughs> right? And I'm just like, 
doing it. If you would have explained to me, or I try to be very cognizant of not saying like, because Jesus, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's not even fair. What do you mean? But I've known old church mothers to be like, because the Lord says so. But why does he say so? Exactly. You didn't tell me about the part that says it affects your person like nothing else does. Well, you didn't tell me that. Or you didn't tell me the consequences. We could save our kids a lot of hurt, a lot of shame. We can save them from a lot of things by just simply taking the time to listen to them and then explain why. That is so true. It's wild. (laughs) (laughs) So how is your relationship with your son? It's really cool. Kevin carries joy in a way that I've never seen before. And I'm biased, but he's really... He's got these beautiful brown eyes and this really big smile with a like three finger gap that could fit a Mack truck. But he's just always smiling and his smile just swallows his eyes and you can just see it and you feel it when he walks in. He's a happy kid and he chooses that every day. So I'm very aware that he still chooses to walk around with that beautiful smile. And our relationship has just grown blossom to a place of mutual respect. And not always understanding because I don't understand 10 year old boy and like why he thinks that like farts and burps are cool. And he doesn't understand me. (laughs) Yeah, we're at this really cool place of curiosity. And we have this really, really sweet thing that we do where it's like, hey, what are you most excited for? Whether it's this month or growing up. And the other day in the car, he says, I'm really excited to call you after work and ask you to come to dinner. Oh, I was just like. Oh, my heart. <laughs> oh, that is so beautiful. It's just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and after he said that, I thought about it. I'm like, I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited for you to call me and say, hey, mom, I had a good day or a bad day. Do you, can we talk about it over dinner? That seems such a cool place to be. Single parenting is difficult. There are just challenges, especially being a young single parent. You don't fully know what you're doing. I didn't have a great job back then there are definitely struggles. And so now being in this place where I just feel like the Lord has entered us into this season where we can kind of dream together, where he's dreaming about his future. He wants to be a forensic psychologist or an NFL player and maybe YouTube on the side. That's his dream. (laughs) He's dreaming those things. And it's cool to be able to partner with him and say like, yeah, baby, those are things that you can totally do. So we're in this really streaming phase together that before I was just like, listen, kid, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying for us to make it to the next (laughs) week. Right. Kids are small. They depend on you for everything. But now he can make his own sandwiches and he can make his own breakfast. I'm not having to do all of that. So it's evolving into something really cool. This year has definitely been a year of like dreaming together. So that's fun. It's been really beautiful. You talk about his father being in his life. Did you always have that decision or make that decision or... Was it hard? Because I like the fact that you guys are having, going to what you've been saying, amazing relationship, even though he's living somewhere else. Because some people have the child and the father is not in the life. The other parent is not in, in the life of the child. But you are having this amazing relationship. How did you guys come to that place? It took a while. We were both really intentional. We were together when I got pregnant and it just wasn't a good relationship. I think we both knew on the out to begin with and then I just happened to be pregnant. So we just tried to make it work. That's never a good idea. That's a <laughs> never a good idea. If you know it's not good, don't stick together for children. 
it never works out. So we were both really intentional. And I'm very fortunate. And Kevin is also very fortunate that we knew that both of us would be there for our child. And we had a um, conversation pretty early on. I just gave him the out. I said, if you're not going to be here, then don't. That's fine. That's your choice. But if you're going to, you just have to show up. And he has. And it was really difficult in the beginning because there's jealousy, there's still hurt, even though we kind of came to the consensus that this relationship wasn't good. It's still really hard. We spent four and a half years together before we had a baby. So it was also the grieving process of that. This relationship's not going to work. And now we're both sharing the biggest piece of our heart with someone who broke it. And that's really messy. <laughs> so the first couple of years were hard. There was jealousy, there was anger, there was just pettiness. It was stupid. <laughs> but now we've gotten to the point where we're like, hey, you know, our kid is happy. He's healthy. His well-being is the most important. So we've gotten to a place where I wouldn't necessarily say that we are friends, but we have a care for each other and a respect as parents. And for me, realizing that as shady as he can be, or I thought he was, he is still a son of God and who my father loves. Therefore, I don't get to put my opinions above what God has said about him either. And that's real hard. (laughs) It's really hard for me some days. That is hard. Yeah. On the days where he doesn't cooperate the way that I want him to or the way that I deem appropriate. I get to be like, you suck. Or I'm like, no, English, that's not what the Lord says about him. He's just not walking in the fullness of his identity yet. So like, I can't judge that. He's fully shut of the glory of God today. He also knows me in the shortness of my glory. So it's difficult in the fact that he knows me and my brokenness. He doesn't fully know this healed version of me. So it's remembering like, okay, girlfriend, you do have healing. So you have to show him the love of the Lord today instead of the opposite. <laughs> it's hard. The brokenness, it's like walking into your triggers every day. The brokenness in me can react when I see him. And I'm like, English, are you going to be petty or are you going to show him the love of the Lord? And sometimes I choose petty. I'm not going to lie. There are some times where I'm like, you know what? Petty's going to win today. (laughs) And then I always instantly regret it. And I've got to go to the Lord and repent. Because just like the Holy Spirit, repentance isn't always good enough. Now I got to go to you and apologize too. That part. (laughs) That part. I'm like, I'll repent all day, Lord. But like, I got to actually say sorry too. (laughs) That's the one that is not as fun. That's not fun. Mm -mm. I hate it so much. (laughs) You tell me, imagine having a broken relationship and let's say maybe you're dating somebody in the office or something. You get to go to the office every day and see this person in the face. You know, it's like, uh, I don't even want to see his face at this moment. But yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's like, what are you going to do? Quit the job? I don't get to quit being Kevin's mom. Mm -mm. Kevin is the manifestation of my heart. So like I give it to this person every other day or however we have our arrangement. And I'm just like, oh, here's my heart again. Here's my heart again. And you didn't steward it well the first time. It's a lot of hard work. And it's genuinely by the grace of God, because I understand why other relationships, why they don't work. Because when you've got these really broken people and you're just like, "Mm -mm, I don't want to go there. It's a really vulnerable place to be. And there's like no rules, which is weird to me that as a society, we haven't figured out co-parenting better or something. I'm just like, can I get a manuscript? We send people to the moon. Can y'all just tell me how to do this? Right. That is so true. (laughs) Something to show us how can we handle the situation? We have a child. How can we go move on together and have a healthy relationship just because of this child? That's it. 
coming to the realization that this child deserves better. They don't ask for this broken, messy, whatever thing we've created here. And that's just been an anchoring point for Kevin and I. Like when we're deciding to be petty that day, my son's father's name is also Kevin. So we intentionally have to call a ceasefire some days. And we're like, okay, we're both trying to get the same thing done here for Kev. Bickering back and forth isn't helpful. Let's just figure it out. It's hard, but we get there when we remember the root of, is our son going to be healthy and balanced after this? If it's not, it's not worth it. If he is, then sometimes we have to fight to the death. (laughs) There has to be a working through, like, let's work this together. And you did talk on challenges. Do you want to just name a few challenges that you'd face through the process of just being a single from the moment you had this child and leaving them and the partner, the father? What are the challenges to this point? The most obvious one is doing it alone. I don't know how to keep a human alive. I've never done that before. It seems easier when you've got like a tag team partner. Hey, I'm exhausted. Can you fill in or vice versa? That went away all by my choosing. It's just, I didn't want to do it anymore. You lose an income. Before you continue, did you not have anyone around you at that time? I mean, I had my family. My sister was in college. My mom didn't live too far away. Okay. I was very aware my family wasn't having this baby, that this is my responsibility. And it is the, I don't want to say consequence, but it is, it's the consequence of my action. I did ask for help when I needed it. I wasn't that foolish. Like, oh, I can do this. And my family was helpful. But in the middle of the night, they've all got to go to work. They didn't have this baby. I did. So there are times where you're just like, man, you got to muscle through it. So yeah, when you have a partner in the home, it's a tag team. When you don't, that's it. It's on you. The loss of income, we went from a dual income household now to a single person. So that exasperates things when you're used to a certain lifestyle. And now it's just like, oh, I've got to work on half now. And then I think because I was so young, still trying to figure out now, what do my dreams look like? That was really hard for me because I'm a pretty ambitious person. I've always been very aware and confident in my skill set and what I bring to the table. But now I'm adding a human that I'm responsible for. So how do I do this? Where I had a decent plan, everything was going well. So I think trying to figure out that very intimate relationship with grief was a real challenge because I didn't know how to show up anymore. I didn't really know who English was as English the mom, somebody's ex-girlfriend, It was just a whole bunch of different roles that I had to balance and still show up in the world. And that was really difficult for me for a couple of years because I couldn't figure it out. Now I can look at it and say, oh, because I didn't know the truth of who God had called me to be. So I'm just like, oh, I think I'm this. I think I'm that. And it would change every day. So people were like, who is this girl? It's like walking on eggshells with her. Those were the biggest challenges. And then again, just trying to figure out how the larger Kevin and I could parents and not be together because I just never thought that that was an option. Yeah. So when it became the reality, I'm like, I don't trust you, but now I have to parent with you forever. Mm -hmm. This thing doesn't end when he was 18 or 22 and graduates college. We're going to share grandchildren and great grandchildren. And that's a humbling reality because, oh my God, there's going to be grandbabies. graduations and birthdays. So we're locked and loaded in this thing for life. And that was a really hard reality. This doesn't actually end. And you try to avoid your trigger. You can't. Not here. That doesn't work. That is so true. So what do you know now that you wish you had known when you were much younger that would have like helped you right now? Oh, all the things. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild when you look at it. I think the first thing would be grace. 
because I really didn't. I didn't realize that grace covers a multitude of sins, that there's equal footing at the cross. I mean, I knew that there was grace, but not for me, <laughs> you know, like because my sins were so glaring or I was the only exception to that rule. But there are a thousand ways to be a good mom. Mm-hmm. there's not one way to be a great mom and to love your kids. There's just a thousand different ways that you can do that. So I would think the thing that I've learned most and that has become most reality and most truthful for me is that one, there is grace that when I screw it up, which I do, that I'm still a really good mom to Kevin and that the Lord is still blessing us and giving us favor. And I think most of it's really not a big deal. Everything that I'm all panicky and anxious over, I'm like, Girl, that thing does not even matter. (laughs) At first, it's just like everything matters. The sweatshirt and the air quality and all of that. I'm like, girl, as long as we're making it today, as long as we are alive and healthy and giving God the praise that he is due, all this other little stuff just does not matter. He will give us bread enough for today. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, we ate today. We're good. So what? Everything else will be fine. Yeah. The thing that I know now that there is grace, that everything will be fine because he's called it to be fine. What advice can you give to single mothers out there or single parents out there that going through life and they have kids to take care of and they're like, this is hard. I don't want to do this anymore. And some of them have to go leave their kids with foster care or some of them are dumping their kids. What advice can you give to them to encourage them to keep going? Hang in there, man. No one else is better qualified to be a parent to your kid than you are. The Lord has called you to be their mama or their papa. So if you are in addiction, if you are trying to decide between abortion or keeping your baby, if you're deciding between adoption, there is so much grace for you. There is peace for you. It will be hard. But the grace and the favor of Jesus is on you. And it sounds so churchy, but it's like when you cast your cares upon the Lord, right? Just give this to your dad and say, daddy, like, this is too big for me. I don't know what I'm doing. He's just going to be like, all right, baby girl, I got you. The Lord has some sass in my mind. He's a little bit gangster. (laughs) (laughs) I would love for just any kind of single parent, whether you're a widow or even those mamas and papas who have children, it really is going to be okay because your dad cares about you and like showing up every day, show up to that cross every single day and just remind him that you need him and he will show up for you because he has to. Because as your dad, as a good and faithful father, it is his responsibility to care for his children. And he loves to do that. He loves to prove himself strong. So man, just hang in there. And your daddy loves you so much and he will take care of you and all your babies. And it gets better. It does. And you'll screw it up every day. I yelled at Kevin before school today and it felt so bad. But the Lord reminded me like, hey, you lost your cool. I'm like, you're right. I did. That doesn't make me a terrible mom. And Kevin still loves me and I still love him. And I apologize. And it's all good. So that is my encouragement that just, man, hang in there. Remember that you can always come to the cross and your dad will be there with open arms. That's great. I think I have a two-in-one question and hopefully that's the last question. What is it that's keeping you going or what has made you this strong to know that, hey, I can do this? The thing that keeps me going most is realizing that the more I submit and surrender to the will of God, the more free that I will be and the more free that Kevin can be in his lifetime. It's not necessarily about me. Yes, I want a great life. I don't want to live a life of insignificance, but for it's that Isaiah 59, right? It's 59 too that says, 
this is my covenant with them, that my words that I put in your mouth will never depart. That's what keeps me going is that the Lord has put his words in my mouth and that my great grandchildren can live a life of freedom where they won't have to know this kind of strife and struggle because I've come surrender to the Lord and I can pass that. Oh man, I'm getting teary. Mm. And then I can pass that down to them. He won't have to have this struggle because I've been open and honest about what mine is and that hopefully he can make the right decisions. So yeah, that's the thing that keeps me going. The generations that are attached to this story and this struggle, I very strongly believe that this is done in my generation. My kid, grandchildren, they're not going to know what it is to have broken families. Yeah, that is so good. And I'm saying this because barrier breakers always say that when you have this desire to do something or you have this tugging on your heart to do something or the Holy Spirit leading you how to do something, be obedient because there's a generation that may miss it if you disobey. And so, yes, everything is working out for your good right now. You may feel that like that was a mistake, but now it's working for your good. And now a generation is going to learn because now you know better, you're doing better. <laughs> I'm quoting Sarah Jakes. Oh my God. <laughs> I love her. Love yeah, her. <laughs> We're not going to start that conversation right now. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> and she says this on Women Evolve that if you know better, you do better. And now that you're better, you are doing better because questions that Kevin will come to you with, you know, you're not going to say, oh, because I said so, or no, I'm not going to answer that. But now you're having that discussion with him. I'm sure there's going to come a time that he's going to come and ask you, you're not going to say no sex or don't get anyone pregnant, but you're going to be able to advise him the right way. And so there's this whole generation of people that are going to have access to this information that they're going to learn from this and they're going to do better. I like what you said earlier that it ends with you. You know, there's going to be fruitfulness, great things coming out of this amazing thing. Like this story will impact so many other people that are out there. And so I'm so grateful for you. This is the first time me sitting down here. We just cooked this up today. My friend just put us together and here we are. I'm talking, I'm being single and you have an amazing story. You were not like, I'm tired, I can't do this. Maybe you had that at some point, but thank God for your sister. And that's so important to have the right people around you who can tell you. God always finds that one person that when they talk to you, are going to listen. And that one person was your sister. And so thank God for her being in your life, being able to tell you your truth, the truth and you've been able to move on or else. I don't know where you'd be today. And so I'm encouraging other women out there that are single women or even a single dad, just keep pushing and you get there. We are not perfect. We're just working. We're in Christ. We are perfect, but we make mistakes and we are part of life and <laughs> we move. <laughs> just do better. <laughs> yeah, do better. Follow the cloud. Where Jesus goes, go. If he stops, stop. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Barrier Breakers Corner podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, share with those you think can benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to the BB Connor Podcast at gmail.com. The Barrier Breakers Corner Podcast is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and executive produced by Joyce Donkor. The podcast music was written by Chidi Omenihu and produced by Andy Official in Begambia, West Africa. Cause they can-